0: Hey, welcome to the Delayed Gratification Podcast, where we bring you entrepreneurs talking about building wealth, give you examples, give you inspiration. Today, we have another great guest on here. This episode is going to change your life. I got my man, Storm, on here.
1: What's up, Storm? Hey, thank you for having me, my brother. Thank you for being here, Storm. Appreciate it, appreciate it. Storm,
0: listen, I'm going to start this one off. What does Delayed Gratification mean to you?
1: Man, Delayed Gratification Delayed gratification means that you have an understanding that whatever you're trying to do, whatever it is that you're you're actually doing, not even try. We eliminate that word, try. That is going to take you some time. So just understand that you're getting there and it's going to get there and it's going to happen, but it's going to take a little bit of time. Whether that be making the right connections, getting the right knowledge, there's a process. And understand with that process, there's a slight delay. But once it do hit Man, will you be so gratified that you had the patience to wait? So that's it for me.
0: Wow, that's, that's wisdom, though. That wisdom comes yeah, from somewhere. Old, yeah, it's old. Tell, tell
1: them who you are, man. <laughs> I'm Storm Leroy from Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, we made it. You know, and um, my main thing that I'm known for is uh, I'm known as the employee millionaire. I took my job salary and became a millionaire um, just by really grabbing a hold and embracing that your job is your first business partner. So what that means is we have to understand our job is actually doing so many things for us, but we really uh, don't appreciate that thing is doing because we haven't embraced the power of that. So the job made it possible for me to be able to take that job, put it on an application and get my first mortgage to get my property. That job also allowed me to be able to pay my bills, to get my credit score up, to be able to get approved for that application to buy that property. That job also gave me weekends off, nights off, and, and you know holidays off so I can master the art of leaving that job and master whatever what it was I was doing, which was out-of-state real estate.
0: Man, let's jump right in. So you yes. actually don't encourage people to quit tomorrow.
1: No, no, no. There's, the lifestyle we live it consists of money, this world revolves around it, the need for it. So, um, you know, we need money in order to lead, to do the things we want to do. Even if being an entrepreneur, if you want to be an entrepreneur, it takes money. You know, whether that be, you need cameras, you need video, you need supplies, you need something. So when you hear people say, oh man, I did it all with nothing. That nothing doesn't mean they didn't do it with money or they did it without money. What they saying that nothing could have meant resources, relationships, the actual devices or whatever, whatever it is they needed. They didn't have that thing. But trust you me, there was some money that comes into play here. So if you have a job, why would you quit that job to now go out and get someone to try to fund your dream when actually you just threw it away? A lot of people make the biggest mistakes by becoming frustrated with their job and saying, you know, I don't want to quit my job and become an entrepreneur, but they don't even know what that entrepreneur thing is. It's the frustration of the job that's leading them to quit when in actuality, you're putting yourself out there the wrong way. You want to be able to say, I want to become an entrepreneur to change my lifestyle because I don't want to work anymore. Not I want to quit my job, then become an entrepreneur and try to figure out how to make money. Entrepreneurial should come in as a replacement to the job. So frustration could lead you to do a lot of uh, misleading things. You know, I was in that space where when I first got my job working for Verizon, it you know, it would, it, it was something I never thought uh, that I would be there that long in actuality. Why did you I say that? Job.
0: What, why do you say you wouldn't? Um,
1: because I came from a world of being, you know, sort of an entrepreneur. You know, I started, I was in the music industry, so I didn't have a job. Um, I ended up opening up, um, you know, having barbershops and starting my own businesses and things like that all throughout. And then there came a time in my life where I said, you know what, you know, some things went on where I was doing, um, let's say some, uh, white tech technology crimes, Okay. but they weren't considered, you know, crimes at the time, you know, I was dealing with cell phones back then and when, Things kind of hit that bump in the road because you know, all good things come to an end, yes. especially fast money comes to an end. And I was actually uh, put in a situation where literally I had to choose between giving up that fast money and going to get a job at Verizon or taking a chance to keep making that electronic fast money and going to prison.
0: When was when, when did you go get this job at Verizon? Verizon started
1: in 1995. I think it was 95, 96. Yeah. OK. How long mm-hmm. did you stay there? Um, here's the thing. I stayed there at Verizon till 20 years, Stay 20 years, 20 years. And let me tell you how that happened. When I bought my first property in 1999, so real estate was a way different space than it is yes. now. So I bought my brownstones of Brooklyn, New York for like 350,000, you know, they were for almost like 200 million now. Right. But it wasn't those properties that put me in the position. I am, but buying real estate, um, uh, Doing that thing then when I got that property in 1999, having a job, putting it on application, doing that. So now I needed that income because I had a mortgage to pay. And even though it was rented out and I have a tenant, I still needed that salary to supplement the other portion of the income. So now I'm, I'm kind of locked in at the job. But what the key thing was, which my, my dad, who inspired me to get into real estate, um, one of the key things no one talks about when getting into real estate is the aspect of becoming a landlord. When I became a landlord, it's like I lost control and went from becoming a dream to becoming literally another job. Why? I had other people who can tell me what to do, when they could pay me, mm. where I had to be. Phone calls late at night. I'm locked out. Come let them in. I'm not going to rinse late. Or, you know, I, I got half now. I got, a little, you know, I got this much now. <laughs> I give it to you next week. Like, that's the part. Don't get me wrong. Real estate is definitely one of the cornerstones to building wealth, especially legacy, building that. But the real realistic conversation that we need to have is the landlord. That's a whole book within itself, being a landlord. So once that happened to me, I said, you know what? I don't want to do this because I had a job already and I didn't want to deal with that so I actually stopped buying real estate so you bought one and got
0: frustrated a little bit
1: yeah actually I had I bought two and you I got, got frustrated okay. yeah because I was doing them simultaneously literally because back then when we when you bought a property <laughs> here's some game <laughs> like when you get the loan to do the property we also took out a construction loan yes construction loan, they would just give you that, like, okay, how much you need? Uh, I need 250,000 to do the work. Okay, now I would take most of that money and go buy another brownstone. That's what we was doing back in the 90s. You know what I mean? So That was sweet. Yeah, 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 that really paid off big time. But now, once I I did that and I said, I don't wanna do this anymore because of that the headache of the tenants, so then I'm locked into the job. 2015, so think about how many years later. That was like 15 years later So 15 years, I knew about out-of-state investing. That's when I heard about out-of-state investing. In 2015? 2015. That was my first time buying property out-of-state. So think in between there, it was all about my real estate I had, getting no more, buying no more properties, being frustrated with the job, doing my other entrepreneurial things, you know, um, all the things I mentioned I was doing before. And then I realized that all of that was work. But the only money that was coming in that wasn't work was rent money. That cash flow. I was like, damn, this money is consistent. Mm -hmm. You know, you get those those hiccups with those tenants, but that money was consistent. So I said, how can I put this on repeat where I could just keep making more money? So once I figured that out in 2015 and got my first property in uh, Indianapolis, I bought that property. Let me stop. What made you not invest in Brooklyn? I mean- uh, or New York anymore. 2015, the property's easily were $800,000, by that. the ones that you were paying... 300000 Okay. So you look at $800,000, $100,000 mortgage is about $500. Yes. So now you look at five, eight, Now that's like $2,000, $2,000 mortgage right there, right? So now you say the average rent in New York was probably about $2,000. Mm-hmm. So you're not cash flowing at all. You're losing the, actually. You're losing. Because yeah. now you got to deal with upkeep, taxes, insurance. So things of that nature where the numbers don't make sense. So now once I actually got my head back in that space, where can I buy properties at? That's when I, you know, actually i'm um, a friend of mine who knew somebody invested out of state passing by mentioned, man, I invest in out of state. I don't deal with tenants or nothing. Yeah. So I said, let me do some research. So once I started doing my research, I went to uh, a website that has a lot of information about out-of-state investors. I'm not going to be giving them plugs that they start paying me because we got to talk about it. I plugged that's right, them That's That's right. So anyway, I'm on this site, and I, I start talking, asking questions, and one gentleman messaged me back. He says, stop asking so many questions because people are going to know you're a newbie, and no one's going to start Talk, nobody's going to talk to you, which was right. I wasn't getting no replies. He said, type your question in the form and search. So I would type in out of state investing. Boop. Bunch of bunch of questions. Same question with tons of answers in the thread. So now I'm going through there, going through there. The same gentleman. I start asking him questions. He was incredible because he would reply back. And now he ended up becoming my mentor. So I started talking to me all about out of state. He really was guiding me through doing my first deals. What I should look for. What are the type of things? How to find the right markets. All this stuff. You were still working though. Yeah, I was definitely still working. Okay. I was definitely still working, which made it and which made it um, such a great tool and a great thing to know because I was doing all this. I wasn't losing any time. I was actually doing this on my downtime. So once I realized and we got to the point where it was time for me to buy that first property, he walked me through how to get the inspections done, property management, all this A, B, C, and D. And I said, man, I just bought a property. I never seen it before. So now I'm chilling. I let the rent come in, I had a property management. And the first thing that came to my mind is, wow, that property was $40,000. I got a a loan out on it. It was about $8,000 loan. Property was making $6,000 a year. So that's like a, uh, about a, a 80% return on my money, almost about an 80% return. So I said, wow, okay, I'm making $6,000 a year off this property. So I'm making about almost $60,000 a year at work. So all I got to do is buy 10 more of these and I can leave my job. Now it's becoming real to me that you don't have to work anymore if you do this process. So I went from being miserable going to work to now being excited to go to work because I saw the exit. Your perspective changed. Big time. You know, the, one of the key things that all this revolves around the mindset. Like when we get a job and we end up going to work, we sit around people who, two things, either they <laughs> love their job and they look forward to being there or people who hate their job and they didn't figure out how to leave there. Mm-hmm. Now, where do you fall? The, you know, really depends on you. So you have people going, ah, man, I you know, I got 10 years left. I got 20 years left. Well, I got 30 years left. And I started realizing, because I started speaking that way, like, yo, how many more years you got? I, I got 30 years. Almost like you was in prison. Yeah, like I'm doing time in a joint. So the, <laughs> the thing was, you mean to tell me there's nothing you could figure out between now and 20 or 30 years to supplement that salary? There's nothing else you can do. You literally just gave up and said, yeah, I'm going to do these 30 years, these 20 years up in Helsinki and just get it and get back out there in the street yeah. and then figure it out. When realistically that pension or whatever it is you think is waiting for you won't be enough. Think about you going to work, making a hundred percent of your money. Now you retire making 75 to 50% of that money, but you still got the same amount of bills with inflation. Mathematically that doesn't work. It doesn't work. So that's why people end up going back to work. So now, you know, fast forward some. So my mindset once I understood that I didn't want to be this way, I didn't want to be these people. I didn't want to be miserable. And now I figured out this whole system of this cash flow and I got the first property and now I'm happy going to work. Man, I was, I was on fire. I said, okay, I'm going to buy me another one. So I found me another one. I got another one. I had some money saved up. Got me another one. So then now I'm going to work and I'm going to tell you guys this 100%. Do not share your goals, dreams, and admiration with people. When you're talking to them about your dreams, they're talking about work tomorrow. Like they already programmed program and that's that's not to the fault of anyone's because it happens to us at a very young age we get up we go to we taught to go to school sit and sit in a classroom wait till a bell or whatever it is go have lunch when lunch is over go back into that room listen to someone give you orders instructions or whatever and now you go home you go home you have dinner whatever go to bed you wake <laughs> up you do that over and over then you graduate
0: hold on no storm kids y'all still better Go to school, oh, go to class, wait on the bell. I ain't say lunch. don't go to school. I'm
1: just showing you how you program. <laughs> I, 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 I'm you showing you. you the program. Well, yeah, for sure. So now you get the job, you go to work, you go to lunch. After lunch, you go back to work. Yes. And it's, it's just all a mechanism of how they program us to make sure they're creating a factory to pump us out to go to work for somebody. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to make a, a decision to yourself Is this something that's going to change my life and my legacy? Who am I doing it for? My family? Does this job come with a ceiling? Does this job come with um, the knowledge of showing me how I could create my own business? Because if you look at the most wealthiest people in the world and businesses that were created, I hate to say it, but most of them don't have college degrees. Most of them come from a background of scraping it. Figuring it out, having somebody else that created a business, a mentor, which is the one thing that you must have in your life. Mentor. A mentor, just like in a dictionary, the word mentor comes before money. Get yourself one if you want to get to the money. Like that. If it one. wasn't a mentor, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now.
0: So let's go to 2015 though. You mm-hmm. started buying, so you had your two, you had your personal home and your two brownstones. Mm-hmm. Then you start going. You left New York because of pricing, just the numbers just right. didn't work out for you. Right. For you. It right. worked for somebody else, but didn't work for you. Right. You duplicated that process, right, over the past seven years. Because fast forward seven years now, right. you just said something to us that, man, it blew my mind that you, you're not even buying the smaller properties no more. Yeah. You're going out to the 100, 200, 300 units, right? Yeah. What happened over the past seven years right. where you have bought so many? Like when I met you, yeah. you reached out and you was like, hey, man, listen, I'm buying. I want to link up with you, man. Yeah. It, was, it took me a year to really respond. And I'm like, man, this dude is this dude is like really nice, man. He's and I started fine. I'm like, he's great, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's real, like, and then we connected. Yeah, right? we connect. Yeah, but definitely. Over the past seven years, what did you develop? And yeah. the, you know, the bumps and bruises, because you were tired of tenants. Yeah. What happened?
1: You know what it was? For me, once I got out of that space and I started investing out of state and I bought more and more properties, I left my job literally in five years of buying that first property. I went in there on Instagram live, literally talking to the world saying, you can do this too. I started with one property out of state with $8,000. I'm leaving this job and the job was paying me when I left. Um, let's say roughly about almost hundred thousand dollars when I left the job and I left the job with five years left on my pension, which so you, you do the math five years at hundred thousand, that's $500,000. I left that extra pension money on the table. So I left easily almost $800,000 behind. Mm. But it would have took me five years to make $800,000. Well, now literally I can make $800,000 in a month, Ooh. a week, at time, you know, doing the things I'm doing now. But what happened in between time? Like, I had my bumps and bruises. Don't get me wrong. I don't want nobody to think that you don't go through things. Like, So what
0: have you gone through? What did you exactly. go
1: through? See, my thing, one thing I went through is not listening to my mentor. That was the first lesson I learned, right? There was a deal... And he was like, don't do that deal because this, that, you know, and I'm like, it's going to work. It's going to work. Put that money on that deal. It tanked. And I had to go tell him. It's like, yo, I said, listen, he said, I told you. I told you not to do it. So that was one lesson. But then also there was just changes. You know, there were things where even though you don't deal with tenants, property management, deal with them, you you get calls to make decisions, yeah. you know, on, okay, let's say if this tenants, Um, you know, I deal with mostly Section 8 I deal with programs, you know, we work with veteran housings, yes. all that stuff. Guaranteed money is all I deal with, you know, but you might have some tenants in there dealing with duplexes and quads where they've been long-term tenants, which I love. Some of them might have a rent issue. So, you know, you get a call, well, they laid on a rent or this happened or something happened. I go, <laughs> you know what, I'm fine with that because I only buy properties where tenants been in there. Long-term tenants, that's not a program. They've been in there at least over a year, two years, and they've been proven to not be laid on rent no more than once. Everybody will have a hiccup. So I know the odds are that they're late. They don't have a pattern of being late. So something really went wrong. So I don't really get too carried away with, carried away with that happening in my, my life now. But um, the only, and, and, I, and I don't want to make it sound like um, really, really traumatic things happen, but I haven't really had that one big, big thing that would happen because I put things in place. The like, default system.
0: That's what I was going to say. Like, what, what, what do you put guarantee in place? rent. Guarantee rent. So, like, Section 8, veterans, yep. and, or the governmental programs. Yep. So, yep. you love those programs.
1: Love them to death. The government's never laid on rent. When COVID happened, a lot of my friends who had a lot of regular tenant properties, they were like, yo, I'm not getting my rent. Storm, yo, what you going through? I was like, man, I can't relate. Like, I really can't. Because <laughs> the government is paying. You know, and I had this system in place before COVID, like 2015. First property I bought was Section 8. And the reason why it was so important for me and my mentor even put that in place for me to buy section eight, because when you buy a tenant occupied property that has a section eight in there, you inherit now that section eight property. I don't have to go down to the court, uh, go down to now file a property at section eight. I already inherited the owner's certificate for being a section eight property. So when somebody moves out easy, add water, stir, do the same thing. Like I just wanted to go the easiest route. So for me, I have very few problems, but I have had some problems, but none that would make me go, you know, I didn't want to do it anymore. 2015 to 2022. I'm going to get personal. Mm-hmm. How many doors? Now, well, when in I. In between. I, oh, in between, about 36. 36. 30, well, 36 properties. When you say indoors, I had duplexes and quads in there. So they say roughly about 40 something in there. How many
0: did you not see? How I many did you not walk up in the grass, touch, grab the door handle before yep. you closed them?
1: All of them. I never <laughs> seen none. Like some now I've seen. I come to Atlanta, I might drive by. Yo, that my. I think I got an address over here. But buying them, never.
0: Never
1: never, them. Never, you know why? Because here's the thing, and this is something that that's very important. If you want to do something, you want to scale, you have to learn to delegate. That's just yes. in every form of business. But the great thing about real estate is there are people called call inspectors. Yes inspector is gonna go out there, inspect the property, and let you know the property is real, and here's the condition of the property, but since I buy tenant-occupied properties, now I send a property manager out with the inspector. Property manager's purpose is going out with the inspector because he inspected tenants. He let me know how the tenants are living. Is the house well-kept? Is it hoarders? What's the condition? Because he don't want to inherit that problem. So now I got the inspector telling me the property is good, and now I got the property manager telling me the tenants are great. That's a home run. I don't need anything else but the rent roll, my funding, appraisal, and I'm done put a bow on it, now I'm gonna go to the next one. I don't need to see that property. I don't care the color. I don't care what they painted. All I care is the inspector tell me it's great. The neighborhood, let me tell you why, I really don't care about the neighborhood and this isn't a negative. Long-term tenants, when somebody's been living somewhere for eight to 10 years, the neighborhood's pretty good. They would've left a long time ago. I don't like the, don't like the areas where people constantly moving in and yes. out, in and out, in and out, in and out. That's an area that's a problem. So think about so much I'm learning. Long-term tenant, most likely is good. The inspector who you get to hire, you have a conversation with him and he's going to tell you, oh man, this area is coming up. I think you should buy more properties. Or the is going down, I wouldn't invest here. Or, for example, in Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, I knew me and a couple other investors that Amazon was opening up a warehouse before it hit the news. Yeah. So I bought 13 properties down there. Ooh. 13, just on the strength of inspectors uh, and appraisers telling us what's happening down there and I never had stepped one foot down there before I got that information I went buying up anything I could get my hands on and now those properties 40,000 worth 80 to eighties is a 200,000 the rent were from like 600 to 1100 to 800 went to 1400 you were patient though. You yeah yeah but I also had the information to back up to validate what I was doing without me actually having to go there. That's the power of building relationships. You build a relationship with your lender. You find out who's handling your loans. You reach out to them. You call them. You send them Starbucks cards. You find out what the kids, are, how the kids are doing. And guess what? Now when you reach out to him, if your loan come across his desk and he sees something missing, he's not going to just slap it on the pile. He's going to email you and go, hey Storm, you're missing something, but you know, let me get that in there and I'll make sure I push it through. Relationship. You get a realtor. So, so so far,
0: so far, you've said delegating and relationships. That's so crucial. Is why you've been able to amass such a large portfolio mm-hmm. over the past seven years. Yes, right. What else? Give me one more secret ingredient, because man, you do man. it. And you make it look so easy. I've talked to your students. Yeah, uh, you make it look super, super easy. So, what else do you do to make it so seamless? Who are you partnering with other than the? You know, the inspector, the realtor, the lender. Who else do you have on your team?
1: Well, it's uh the common pieces, like I mentioned, inspector, the 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 realtor funding, um property managers, of course, they're really the backbone of making sure things go well out of state. And I always recommend to vet your property management company down to the core and go with referrals from people who handle their business. What I mean by that if someone is handling their business terrible and they they don't care how it looks or what's going on, why you would take a referral from them? They're referring you to people who are just like them. (laughs) Like I'm not gonna take a referral from somebody who does shabby work on their properties and refer their contractor to me. I want somebody to refer me a contractor who I know his properties are in immaculate shape. That's the referral I want. So look for those kind of referrals, not somebody that's half with their business. But for me, really, that's pretty much it to get your knowledge from someone who has that knowledge. And it can be seamless and easy. But you must understand. Here's another thing. I don't involve and hold on to any properties no more than five years. That's a big one. Five years. Why? Because I use other properties as cash flow to buy properties that I am going to hold long term like I do have properties that are, that are going to stay inside my trust with my family for 7, 8, 10 years, 15 years. But the objective when I first get started is that property is all about cash flow. All those properties I mentioned in the beginning, it was for constant cash flow, 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 whatever it is a year. And when I'm making that money and I put that money with my money I'm making at work, like you put away $100 a week, that's $5200 a year. You got a property making you 6,000 dollars a year. That's $11,200. Then we have that other piece of money that we do not take advantage of, which is our tax return. If we were to take our tax return, now you throw that tax return $5,000 on top of that. So now that's $16,000 right there. 60, in one year. In save. one year. One year, $16,000. That's a so lot of money too. A lot of money, let me, especially let me,
0: let me, 20%. I'm going to stop you right there. You know, you hear people now, because so much stuff is happening on social media, Mm-hmm. They look down on saving just sixteen thousand dollars a year, yeah. right? I'm gonna tell you why. It's a lot of money, man. Especially when you have somebody like you teaching us what to do with sixteen thousand right. dollars. Most America does not have sixteen thousand dollars right now. And let me tell you
1: why I disagree. People have it; they just okay. not they just don't have a sense of urgency to go get it or to use it. Okay, that's what it is. You give somebody a sense of urgency. Oh, they're going to have $16,000. They're going to get $16,000. From somewhere. For, from somewhere. If, you tell some, if I tell you right now, I give you a million dollars, go give me $20,000. A million dollars right here in this bag. You're going to make a call. You're going to find a way. If someone said, the only way I'm going to give you $20,000, if you give me $20,000 plus another $20,000 on top of that, you're going to take that $20,000 yes. because you know you got a million dollars waiting for you. Yes. Like people need to have a reason, and the reason why a lot of people look at sixteen thousand dollars is so small because they don't see the big number in percentages. If you say twenty percent, twenty percent of one hundred thousand dollars is twenty thousand dollars. Twenty percent of eighty thousand dollars is sixteen thousand dollars. So literally, I just told you you could buy an eighty thousand dollar house
0: because I put twenty percent now.
1: See, now it sounds like a lot, eighty thousand. Because you know why? When people say, "Yo, I'm gonna buy me a house, man," then that house goes eighty thousand dollars. We looking at the big number. Stop looking at the big number. Look at what you have, what you're responsible for. Twenty percent, twenty five percent. Let's say twenty percent. You're responsible for sixteen thousand dollars. Your lending agency is responsible for the rest.
0: You keep saying twenty percent down, mm-hmm. but that's that's still a lot of money. Twenty percent. Because I hear a lot of investors saying they're getting zero percent down. Oh yeah, they're getting, and they're out there. But you're training people to think to have something. Yes. You said $100 a week plus my tax, my income taxes plus you had $5,000 from somewhere else, right. right? Why do you do that as opposed to teaching just directly? Y'all only do 0% down, only do this. Right. Tell me what is that mentality that you're training us to have?
1: The mentality I want to train you to have is not to depend on nobody else to fund your dreams. Wow. Because if you're sitting there going, I'm going to get it from here, I'm going to get it from there, then guess what? You don't even believe in yourself because you're relying on somebody else to help you get across the finish line. You're going to sit there and go. <laughs> so guess what? If that don't come through, you're just going to say, well, I guess it ain't work out. Let me go back to work.
0: They're going to stay on the sideline.
1: You're going to sit there until somebody gives you something. You can't, how are you going to fund a movement if you don't now work your way into funding your own movement? You ain't for somebody else to fund your movement so you can free your people. It's not on deals. You now you're relying on the belief of where that money's coming from to get to get you where you need to go. You have, if you have a job, you got money. You got a cell phone bill. You're paying one hundred fifty dollars, one hundred dollars a month. Yes. You got a cable bill, which is no less than two hundred dollars a month. <laughs> so two hundred dollars a month already. That's twenty four hundred dollars for the year. Your cell phone's a hundred. That's another twelve hundred. That's thirty six hundred. dollars I don't want to wait a year. Like, though. I don't want to save up and wait a year. But, so you know, you know what you do then. What? Group economics. Mm. I tell people, invest in your education, money will follow you. Once you invest in your education and knowledge, and now you can sit and have a a, a civilized conversation, a, a, a realistic number conversation about how you can take somebody else's money and invest in your belief of what real estate could do for y'all as a group. And reason why I say civilized, because you'll hear people have conversations about investing, they be like, yo, y'all so stupid, man. We need to put our money together and start doing something. My man, see, who gonna who work with you like that? I understand you have passion, but you can't be saying, yo, y'all, we need to do this. We need to do that. Because we hear it all the time. We see videos all the time. They passion is there, but they didn't invest in any knowledge. If you invest in the knowledge and sit down and say, you know what? Family. I want to break something down to y'all. I have a mentor. My mentor has been working with me and telling me about the power of group economics. Oh, really? What's that? Oh, here's a property. This property costs $100,000. There's a tenant in there. The mortgage on a hundred thousand dollar property is $500 a month, but there's a tenant. there paying $1,200. So we can literally make $800. I think it's $800 a month. Mm -hmm. So now all we got to do is come up with $20,000, but there's a, uh, there's a program or even if I'm not even going to the program, let's forget. I even said that I'm going to stick to the base. $20,000. Right. But guess what? I got 3000. You got a good job. You got a 401k. You work for corrections or you work for transit. You work for sanitation. like, Now, if you put in five, you put in five, I'll manage the property. I'll run it. This is how much we can make every month. All of our names would be on the LLC. So once we get the LLC, all of us got a piece invested in it. So now it's a sense of security. We don't have to worry about it. And now I make sure y'all get statements. Here's an example of what a statement looks like. Pass around a statement. This is what you see how civilized that sounds.
0: You made that seem so easy, though. So no, what, what where do I, because even when we Google it, we don't get that breakdown like that. Storm. You
1: know what? You see the key thing you said? You said Google. I said mentor. Ooh, okay. So it's a difference. It's a big difference. Do you believe everything on the internet or we have to siphon through what's on the internet? That's one thing I never forget that. Like it's like what I heard It's like you can find anything you want to believe in on the internet. Like people will search. Over and over till they find the answer that match what they believe in. What they believe in. Yes. They, they, I mean, you could search and be like, nope, that's not it. Nope. They'd be like, nope, nope, they wrong. Do you remember? See, I told you.
0: I finally found it. I finally Bar- found Barbershop some,
1: talk. I finally found something that agrees with me. Yes. That's what it really becomes to. So you can really change, change your life, change your legacy by understanding group economics. So once I started investors and my mentor told me about partnerships, that's how my portfolio exploded. I said, why am I going to take... For example, $20,000 about $100,000 property. When I can partner with somebody, we get $200,000 properties. He got 20, I got 20, we get two. The reason why that's so important, because now when you do your taxes, you're not writing off one property, you're writing off two properties now. Now's depreciation on those two properties. Now it looks totally different now. Do you teach that? 100%, I teach LLCs. Mm-hmm. I teach group economics and the power of the LLCs when you have a home office, for example. If you have a home office, now you could write off light, gas, portion of your mortgage, portion of your rent, your car mileages. There's an app called Evalence that can do that. You're, you could write off expenses of trips. I'm out here now. This is a write-off for me. Put this on my business credit card. Now I had a reason to be out here. I have property out here. Yes. So now my accountant writes all that off. And I tell people, even if your business is not making money yet, open up your LLC. All this is depreciation and write-off. You taking courses, you taking classes about whatever it is, that is a write-off. Stop thinking you have to start making money. That laptop you go by, that that printer, that desk, all you need is an office somewhere in your house. And it doesn't have to be the entire room. That's a whole list a Of something. course, you know, but it's a lesson we need because the biggest thing that we're not taught is how to run our business like a business. Mm. We taught the we taught on how to run our business like a hustle. When you run your business like a hustle, you're going to treat it like a hustle and you're not going to maximize the potential. We get upset when wealthy people, they write off every single tax and then they go, well, Amazon pays no taxes. This this, this you know, this person, this rich person pays no taxes, no taxes. Why are you mad at him when you can literally do the same doggone thing? Because the rules are the rules. The rules are the rules. Taxes benefit those that provide housing and jobs. Repeat that. Taxes are designed to benefit those that create housing and jobs. And you know why? Because you could tax a company one time, one time taxes. But guess what? If I hire you, they could tax you several times. Mm. They tax you on your rent. They tax you on your checks. They tax you on, on on your car. They tax you on food. But I'm a business. I don't eat. I don't live nowhere. You only could tax me one time as a business, but I tax you. I thought you were just a real estate guy. See, this is one thing for me. When I got in, got into real estate, my brain has always been that thing of, I tell you, I always had entrepreneurship thing in me. And I always say that when you have a conversation, especially with somebody like me or anybody, I expand beyond real estate because it's the growth. Like legacy is, is a big conversation for me. Setting up your trust after you have their properties. I got a question Having, about that. Yeah, definitely. Having your trust, having your your life insurance policies in the name of your trust, your bank account in the name of the trust. I opened my first trust in 2019, and I've never been the same since.
0: 2019. 2019 so we're not going first trust. Day. Three years ago, because man, when I hear you teach on trust, yeah. I've never seen anything like it before. You're actually, although I've been in the business 28 years now, right. you're actually the first person that taught me about trust wow. the way you taught me about trust. Wow. And I'll say this, when we did them early on, the, the late 90s, we were just doing it because everybody said putting in the trust, they can't find you, you can't yeah, you know, yeah, all, yeah, all the yeah, other yeah. stuff that you do it. But we had no idea, I didn't at least anyway, right. how it really run because right. it was basically another LLC, right? Right. So tell me, 2019, why a trust and which trust?
1: I see it. That, that's dope. I love it, man. You know, you get me in my space, man. You get in my groove. When I, I wanted to, once I got my property, I said, okay, I, I want to leave it to, to my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to leave it to my family, to my legacy. So then my attorney was like, well, what you need to do is you need to create a trust. I said, all right, tell me about the trust. I said, yeah, you leave the trust. The trust now dictates who gets the property, how uh, if, if they can sell the property, how much percentage you could do this and that. And, and he started going into it. I said, all right, bet. Let me look into it. So what I did was in New York, it was this snowy day. And I said, Who designs a trust where we talk about all the time? Rockefeller trust. Mm. So what I did was looked online, pulled up Rockefeller trust from 1934. I said, I'm going to read this damn trust. Rockefeller
0: had a trust in 1934. 1934,
1: his trust was activated. His trust, the Rockefeller trust from 1934. There's also a great read called What Would the Rockefellers Do? What Would Rockefeller Do? Read that there. Blow your mind. So now I'm reading his trust and I understood now he take his money... Give it to a generation, give them a portion, put this money in a brokerage account for them. Only give them a portion when they reach a certain age. So the money compound interest over a certain amount of years. And I give an example of a breakdown. For example, let's say you have a half a million dollars. You mm-hmm. leave a half a million dollars in your brokerage account for your grandchildren. 21 years, at 6%. The half a million turns into about $1.7 million for your grandkids. So you don't leave them 1.7, you give them like half. Let's say that's like about almost $800,000. You leave that in that for your great grandkids for 21 years, $800,000 turns into about almost $3 million, somewhere like that. So now you leave that in for your great grandchildren. You only give them half, 1.5 for your great, great grandchildren. 1.5 turns into about, put three, about $4.8 million. So that's just fourth generation. That's almost $5 million for your fourth generation. And how he put gasoline on it was everyone inside the trust, he made sure he opens up a trust on them so everybody gets paid two and three and four times. What I mean by that is if my, gen- my grandkids get paid through my trust, but now I gave my children a trust. So now not only do my grandchildren get paid for my trust, they also get paid for my children's trust wow. twice. So now my great-grandchildren, not only do they get paid from my trust and my children's trust and my grandchildren's trust, they get paid three times. So the Rockefeller family still got money. 12th generation is still getting paid as of this date, 12th generations. Trustees, and now let me give you another play. Also, what he does is also have everybody in the trust has a life insurance policy in the name of the trust. Why is that so important? Because now everyone in the family can borrow money from the trust. The trust is a family bank. So my trust is designed the same way where now when my grandkids get a certain age, they can now come to the trustees and say, I have a business plan. Present the business plan. And if it makes sense, the trustees will now loan them the money from the trust. They
0: don't give it to them. No,
1: it's a loan.
0: Okay, it's a loan.
1: They got to pay it back. You have to pay that back. And that money goes into the trust. And that trust will always be funded through life insurance policies. Why? Because everybody dies one day. We have to stop looking at death being this taboo thing. And now we have to say, I'm going to put up a life insurance policy on my mother, my father, my grandmother, my brother, everybody. And I literally tried to include outside members of my family. Talk to my sisters, you know, my uncles. Y'all don't have a life insurance policy. I'm going to put a life insurance policy on you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to put. Soon as I wanted to open up policies on them, they kids come out the woodworks. Whose name going to be on it? Who's going to start collecting? I see. See, now none of y'all cared nothing about your <laughs> parent until I came along. And now y'all want to know this ain't the benefit me, this money. I'm going to create a family trust with that policy, but see, people don't get the picture because we were never taught. We start thinking selfish self wealth, no matter how much some people say, I want to create generational wealth. I want to do that. But when people actually get money, if you don't have paperwork, it's self wealth. If you don't have something in writing saying what what it's going to do, it's self wealth. I had a partner of mine, a friend of of another friend of mine. He died, left all his his properties to his daughters. His daughters ended up selling his properties for pennies on a dollar because they didn't want to be landlords. The biggest mistake we could make is assuming our children want to be what we are. Correct. They didn't. They might not want to be in real estate, so don't assume that. Might not be the. It might not be their purpose to be in. Real their estate. purpose. Yes. So, like my trust, for example, strictly states. That my investment properties, not my main ones that's going to stay in my family, yes. those are all going to get sold. That money is going to now go into the brokerage account and do what I just described. Whether that be one point, one million, two million, three million dollars 2000000 3000000 dollars I know it's going in at a brokerage account for this next generation, 6% interest, 21 years over and over and over again, because I don't want to leave investment properties to my grandkids or great grandkids knowing that's not what they want. Now, my main long-term whole properties, those will be my primary residence, some other properties that I will leave for my kids to live in that they will have forever, but investment properties. Imagine leaving 20, 20 year old, thirty year old, twenty some properties, thirty some properties. the first day they step out the house. Soon as somebody say, "Oh, you know, you could get this for it." Yes, most of them anyway. Most of them yeah. because it's the value. They don't see the value in something they didn't work for. They mm. see the money now. So it's educating and knowledge. Like one of the biggest things that we spoke about this early, I want to tap into that. Is that people always have that thing when you hear, "Why did they sell Grandmama's house?" Why? Why did they sell grandmama house? They should have never sold grandmama house. Grandmama house worth this much. Grandmama paid $80,000 for it. It's worth $2 million Two million dollars now. And I always say, yeah, you need to sell grandmama house. Do you? You need to. You know why? 100,000%. Because you know why? Nobody who she left that house to most likely will qualify for a $2 million loan. That's what we don't see. The money is in the walls. million in the wall. If you walk into that bank and say, I'm going to do a cash out refi, I'm going to do a cash out refi, $2 million, not even $2 million, because they give you, let's say, 80%. So one point, yeah, let's say $1.6, $1.8 million, the bank going to go, okay, let's get your pay stubs. Now, they, they look at your pay stubs and go, oh, you don't qualify to pay back this kind of loan. Now, what's the option? Now you can rent it out. Let's say you get $3,000 rent. It's it's three siblings. So y'all gonna split $1,000 a piece? When grandmama would probably look down and go, the reason why I bought this house is for it to gain value to change our legacy. The biggest problem is people didn't get knowledge on what to do with that $2 million when they sell the house or that $1.8 million. That's the problem. If they become educated financially, now that money will change the legacy. People have heirlooms. They hold on to, and I don't believe in holding on to heirlooms and all that because when somebody bought that thing and said, I'm a leaders for the family, they didn't say, I want you to hold this forever. They knew it was going to gain value. They knew that artwork would be worth something one day. And they knew that thing that would be worth something one day could change the, the landscape of your family.
0: So is that why you put everything in a trust and tell them what?
1: 100%. What am I going to do with a $5 million painting on my wall and I live in a $300,000 house? <laughs> How much sense that make? What am I going to do? Even if I live in a million dollar house. What, what I'm going to do with a $5 million heirloom, a $3 million that was handed down over and over again, knowing that I got my nieces and nephews behind me that I could impact by saying, let's sell that and put that in a trust. Let's set them up with life insurance policies and put them all in a trust. Let's take that. Don't you think grandmama would go, baby? That's exactly what I wanted for us. Because think about it. I'm only two generations, three generations away from slavery. Most of us are.
0: Wow, that's deep, Storm.
1: From slavery. That's deep. My oldest brother remembers signs of saying colored only. My older brother is in his 60s. He remembers that. So you mean to tell me that you feel more honorable by holding something, by saying I'm a holist because that's what they would have wanted when they came from that place of of literally just being kicked off the Mm. land and wanting to change our life? They didn't hold on to possessions. What they say it was holding on to
0: a dream. The the wealth only goes one or two generations anyway,
1: and then it's lost. Yeah, and then it's lost. Why? Lack of education. Is it lack of education or lack of preparation? No, I'm I'm gonna go with education. Okay, because you know why? You can't be prepared for something if you didn't educate yourself on how to get it. Wow. Preparation is saying you hoping it's gonna come. Knowledge is saying I'm gonna go get it. Mm. See the difference? I do. I could sit here and be prepared to be rich all day. I'm waiting for rich to come to me. But once I got a mentor and got knowledge, I went and became rich. I I went to go get that. Then I got it. I ain't sit back. The worst thing you could do is sit there and rest and say something's going to come to me. You have to get up and go get it. And, And one of the biggest things is by hanging around the same people who mean you well, but they're not striving in the direction you're going for. Whatever direction you're moving in, you have to realize a lot of people ain't going to make it. And a lot of them don't want to see you That's go. Yeah. Well, let me tell you why it's the easiest thing you can do. Once you start thinking beyond you, mm-hmm. the easiest decision will be how to let things go. Because when you start thinking about you, you learn about what your friends think about. But when you start thinking about what your, what your kids, what their kids, with those kids, you're going to be like, man, I got to go. You move different when you think like that. Cause you're not worrying about your feelings. You, you, you ain't worrying about your feelings cause you got to think about them. Why wouldn't I stop hanging around certain group of people if I know all they want to do is just smoke, drink, make fast money.
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah. I'm out. See, but people don't lead our circle when they think that's all they have. But the biggest transition in people's lives are normally those times when they get children and they get married. That's the many transitions, right? But now we have to really learn to make those transitions in life before those things happen because now you're behind the eight ball because you didn't value what you can do by becoming a family man and a husband.
0: That's See me. what I mean? We, so, so, so let me ask you this, though.
1: Don't have me getting on that talk there. Yeah, we, Don't we, have me we, going we, there. We're we going to go down there. We're going to go there. <laughs> go
0: what ahead. you're saying is mindset. Yeah. Because that's where the knowledge comes from. Because, you know, growing up, you know, people, you say, I'm going to keep it 100. Right. Or oh, I don't want to talk like that. Right. Oh, I don't want to go to that dinner. I don't want to go to that right. country club. Right. How did you begin to, one, make those changes? Right. Right. But two, that hat says something different. Yeah. And that's a different mindset yes. to even have that. So what you teach, right. that's where I want to go. Right. Employed millionaire.
1: Right. Let's talk about it right quick. Man, it's, 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 and, and, and let me tell you something. I love the word mindset, but the more and more I use it, the more and more I don't like it. Okay. Why? Because we all started changing who we became. We, we all started changing who we become now and we didn't know it was called mindset. It was called belief. Like literally, I didn't know what the hell mindset change was <laughs> in the hood. Who the hell was saying the word mindset? Nobody. I just knew I needed to change my belief. So the more and more I use the word and this has really become lately, the more and more I'm starting to like not like it because it's becoming um, cool. It was a belief first. It was believing that I know I can be more. It was me believing that even though my, my lifestyle and my ghetto where I grew up in, my bank account was telling me I was one thing. My belief was telling me I could become something else. It wasn't a mindset because I didn't know the word. Once I believed that I could do more, have more, become more, that's when the switch that's when the switch came to become that thing that employed millionaire. Mindset was something that happened once I got educated and became that person. I started having conversation with people who were in the space who understood the word mindset. And then I said, "Oh, that's what it became. that's what I was doing." But see, but I want to keep talking to people who believe first. Because for me, using the word mindset and the word belief, it's like me switching a uh, switching uh, a wealth class. If I keep saying mindset and the people who don't understand the word mindset go, oh, he gone already. But if I say I need you to believe, I feel it. I'm still talking to them. I feel But it. if I say I need you to get mindset, they go, what the hell is a mindset? So if I if I stick to belief, then I'm gonna drag you to mindset. Then I'm going to have you understanding what mindset means. But I need to really focus everybody to focus on you believing in I something gotta be- first. got
0: to believe first.
1: When you believe, then you make the change. So the change from you going from, I'm going to have this job and this job is only going to pay bills to you believing that the job is going to do more for you. Now you have the belief that you could become greater than what the job told you. The job told you, I believe that you're going to be here for 30 years until you retire But your belief system now told you, man, I believe I'm meant to do more than that. I believe that I'm a greater than what this job is telling me. I believe that I can take this four hundred dollars, twelve hundred dollars. I can invest this money. I can save money. I believe that I can buy me a house. I believe that my kids deserve to be here. But I mean, believe to be in a bigger house. I believe that I need to get them this. I need take. That's a whole different thing. Now, if I say my mindset is going to make me say that I could take my paycheck, my mindset is going to make. See, it 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 doesn't sound as pure. You don't feel it. You don't feel it. You don't feel it. So I always want to try to stay in my roots. You know, and I understood where I came from. I come from growing up in a house where the boiler broke and we lived without heat for three or four years as a kid. Like not understanding that, oh, shit, we didn't have heat until I got older because we grew up on love. Like understand, we all understand those. Well, I don't know generations now, like mayonnaise sandwiches, <laughs> rice sandwiches. <laughs> but Like Banana, banana sandwiches. Brief- you know why? But we we grew up in that hardship, so I don't want none of us now. We get money, we get we get shows, we traveling, we enjoying. At certain crowds, we can use mindset. Yes, but I need to be able to look my young youth in the eyes, who trying to figure out, because now summer jobs ain't here no more. No programs are gone, but now they see me and go, oh man, he good. Now I need to have I need for him to look at me and hear me and hear us sit here on this mic and go. Yo, I had a belief in myself. I believed I can do better. And they stayed there on that channel. If I say, yeah, man, I developed a mindset when I was 11 years old. They they gone, man.
0: I got so much more I want to ask you, man. We're going to have have a part two to this.
1: Oh, damn, I'm done. Damn, I ate it up already? Listen, listen.
0: (laughs) Before we tell them how to find you, I got to ask this. Because I ask a goal five years from now. Yeah. What is that goal, and what are you willing (sighs) to sacrifice? Delayed gratification, right? To reach that goal, give me give me a
1: goal. My my goal five years from now is to impact a million people, and with the help of my partners Ash Cash, Marvin Mitchell, Path to Prosperity, I know we're gonna touch ten million people. Like that, there's nothing stopping us from doing that, but ourselves. The universe has spoken. The universe has spoken and said, I'm going to fund you guys with enough fuel, which is money. Money is energy. Money is fuel for our ship that we're running. So we need that to touch these people. So that definitely is the goal to impact millions. What I'm willing to sacrifice is the time that I have to do other things. You know, the enjoyment, my, that delayed gratification to know one day I'll be able to take all the trips, spend all the time with the, with the kids, grandkids, and travel the way I want. But for now, there's a purpose while I'm here, while all of us is here, while we're sitting here. This moment in time didn't just happen when you hit me and said, Storm, come to the show. No, this started back in 1999 when I bought my first piece of property. When we think about it like that. We will now see things differently. We will look down time differently. We will stop thinking that, oh, man, I called you to get here, and we're going to do this. Oh, man, so next week we're going to do that. Because if the furthest you could see is next week and next month, how are you really thinking about your generations then? Everything I do is dedicated to me putting something in writing with an issue and a signature that says four generations, five generations. I love it. That's where it has to be.
0: Listen, I'm going to say this. About a year ago, I had you do something that you normally don't do. <laughs> well, oh boy! And you know, well, and you t- you talked about this. Uh-huh. You talked about you speaking on new stages. You saw it. You worked at it. Yeah. You remember what you told me? You said, "Man, I'm going. I'm gonna be in Florida, and I got a speaking engagement. And I start. I'm starting to see it now. Yeah, yeah. You laughing about the what I had you do is walk that property, but. Oh, this is big. I'm talking about the conversation we had in the cars, me, you and beyond. My brother beyond Beyond. when. Yes. And you said, this is what we got to do. That's powerful. And so I know and I believe in five years, you're going to touch that 10 million people. Yes. Because what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Do it. And I appreciate it, brother. So I
1: appreciate you, my man. Thank you for having I'm me. I'm looking here, forward man. to that. Listen, right quick. Mm-hmm. Norm, tell
0: them where to find you, how to find you, what we need to do to push that movement.
1: Hey, you can find me on Instagram at I Am Storm LeRoy. Also, you can go to the uh, go to employedmillionaire.com. Employedmillionaire.com. You can find more about me, uh, mentorships courses, challenges, and also with my brothers, Path to prosperity.com you know, we there and we, we moving around the world. And we, The key thing is collaboration is the new currency. We, we want to collaborate and work with as many people as, as possible because that's the only way we're going to impact the people in masses, dividing our people up into groups. Here go your group of 10,000. Here go our group of 10,000. Here go our group of 10,000. And now when somebody says who they're with, it sounds like a gang. Yes. But if we all could just get together and get everybody together and we have one accord to do something, I'm not saying we gotta have this one big company together. But what I'm saying is if we now focus on something that we can get our people at a good starting point, we'll be we'd be unstoppable. we will be able to do mergers, acquisitions, talk to banks, talk to schools, talk to all these companies in a different way. The reason why a lot of companies now, and I know I'm getting going to go on a tangent, I'm gonna stop it. The reason why companies tend to uh, talk to one of us, and it may be an entertainer, or somebody of that level, because they feel like that's the voice of the people. They don't do that to nobody else but us. Wow. You I think they do they, that. do? they do they do they go to 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 one? You know, do they go to to Steven Spielberg to say, "Come talk, represent the people as a masses"? No, they find one of us because they know we easily separate it. Let's get together and, and, and do something where now it's so big that they can't ignore it. They can't do the things that they're doing and get away with it. You know, let's have a strong chain, man. But I'm going to stop right there because I got a lot on my mind today. Thank you, man. Appreciate It's going to be a part two. All right, it's man. i man. I'm, I'm here, Thank man. you.
0: Thank you for being on the Late Gratification Podcast. Yes, sir. Thank you all for joining in yes, sir. and listening to the Late Gratification Podcast. Y'all listen, we're going to continue to build wealth with this podcast and bring on inspiration, give you real-life examples. Again, thank y'all. Love y'all.
1: Peace.